0: just want to give our listeners a heads up that today's episode does feature some adult content uh you know a little bit of language and uh some of the topic matter is a little bit uh pg-13 so uh you see a reasonable request i did would you do it yeah. Hello and welcome back to episode number three of direct to podcast My name is Kurt Schneider. And I'm Kenan Wetzel. Today we're going to be talking with director Andrew Lorich. Andrew is a very accomplished director living out in LA. He's also from Michigan, so he's automatically a cool guy in our books. Sick. Andrew is the director of the Vimeo staff picked A Reasonable Request, which is easily one of the funniest shorts I've ever seen. Uh, he also has a large amount of both commercial and narrative work under his belt. And because I hate podcasts with long intros, let's get to the call. Hey, Andrew, how's it going, man?
1: Good. How are you guys?
0: Doing well. Really appreciate you being on the podcast today.
1: Well, thanks for having me. I feel, I feel honored to, to be at a place where people even want to interview me on a podcast.
0: Well, great. I, you've got you've got some awesome stuff. We're looking forward to learning the uh, method behind your the magic you're making. You know, just to kick things off, tell us, you know, how'd you get your start directing professionally?
1: Um, well, sort of a circuitous journey. I went to film school at the University of Michigan, or the film program, and then um, kind of concentrated in screenwriting and moved out to L.A. after graduating and started working at a production company called Anonymous Content, which... Has been famous this last year for winning a, a bunch of awards for *The Revenant* and um, *Mr. Robot*. Oh yeah, very familiar. And yeah, they also did uh, what's the other one? I'm blanking on the um, uh, the Michael Keaton one about the Boston Globe.
0: Oh, Spotlight. Uh, Spotlight. Yeah, yeah. Yep.
1: They did that one. So, anyways, they, when I started working there back like 2005, 2006, they were sort of. The engine of their company was commercials, and so they were famous for having kind of these cool feature directors doing commercials like Spike Jones and David Fincher and Mark Romantic. So I kind of got seduced by the idea of of commercial directing as kind of an in to feature directing. Right. Um, And so I started building a reel, started shooting spec commercials and kind of was tutored by the EPs at Anonymous and ended up getting signed by this small company uh, when I was really young and didn't really get any work out of it. And then that kind of I, either they disbanded banded or they just dropped me from their roster. But uh, a couple years later, I co-founded a company called contagious LA with another director and a producer. And that's since grown and kind of where I've been at. And I think just who was answering the question of, of how he came about it professionally. I think just the process of shooting commercials on spec and then eventually like you hear, I, it was like I caught wind that there was a friend of a marketing director at this small internet company who needed commercials. So I was like, oh, shoot. you know, So I shot something for him and got paid a little bit of money for it and then um, he sent it to his friend at Google who then put my work on this database and then I started getting hits from more companies and then eventually just kind of, kind of grew. Um, it was, it was probably a longer process than the overnight process that a lot of people I think experience with, with maybe like feature films, a hit feature or a hit short.
0: Right.
2: Hey Anders, Ken here. Um, I just want to kind of ask about uh, you know spec work. I think a lot of young directors are trying to figure out how to get into um, directing kind of bigger stuff. And uh, what was your experience with spec work? Would you recommend a young director does a lot of stuff on spec, or um, kind of what's your thought process around, uh, about that?
1: Uh, that's a good question. I, I think more broadly, what's important is is to just keep directing. Mm-hmm. I think I think working begets work. Um, in a lot of fields, but particularly in directing, now there are so many different like crowdsourcing agencies that you don't necessarily even need to do something on spec. For example, there's an organization called Mo Film.
3: Right. Um,
1: I don't know if you guys have heard of that, but they, yep. they're an international company putting out briefs for different brands, and and you can oftentimes get grants of up to like five to eight thousand to shoot something with a potential event winning an award and traveling somewhere around the world for it so
2: yeah not a bad deal I think
1: that's, <laughs> what's
2: that yeah not a bad deal to do that
1: <laughs> it's not a bad deal I actually I, I I my first time I went to or the only time so far I've been to Cannes was through them I did a uh, short branded short for them and got flown out which was kind of cool
0: what what uh, brand did you do that spec for
1: it was for Sovereign Bank okay or in Spain it's Sometime there, I think. Huh.
0: And what what was that process like? I mean, was it similar at all to working with, uh, with an agency working on a commercial, or was it very different?
1: With Mo Film? Yeah. Um, it, that was different. That I ended up shooting um, on spec initially and then just blindly submitting it, and then it ended up uh, winning. But they they've since like expanded their I guess uh, the scope of, of what they're going after so they they have a bigger seed fund of money that they can offer as grants. This is 2011 when I did it and it wasn't um, they they didn't have as much grant money. So
2: so it's not- kind of interesting
1: actually. It got like second place, but then the first place guy ended up winning something else, so then they flew me out for
2: it's kind of to you. <laughs> Nice, that's cool. So now that you're like you're past that, um, how how do commercial projects typically come to you? You now, like, what's the what's the bidding process like? And um, yeah, how do, how do the projects come to you now that you've kind of moved up the ranks?
1: Did you did you did you pursue that with now that you're kind of set?
2: <laughs> no, no, I'm saying oh. now 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 how do the projects come to you now that you're not you know doing stuff on spec? You're more like signed right. by a production company.
1: It's funny, I thought you led with that and I was gonna say in, in directing, like you're never set. Oh yeah. <laughs> like maybe you think you're like you're gonna get a bunch of work then there's like a dry spell. Right. Um now it's it's not it's not entirely different. The, the bigger projects come through um, a couple of different places. So as a company there we have reps and reps have relationships with ad agencies. And so the reps find out about boards and, you know, jobs that are coming up and then they'll then farm out to their different clients, which are production companies and say, Hey, we've got, you know, uh, a Coke spot that's shooting, you know, in December, this is the budget who, you know, this is what the, the tone of the commercials like who do you have as a director that would be good. And then the production company will send reels in of different directors and then the agency will narrow it down to three, which is kinda of like a classic triple bid process.
3: Right.
1: And then those if you get you know, if you get into that club, the you know, the top three, then as a director, you get on the phone with the agency, you pitch your take on it, you go back and you write a treatment, which is kind of a pain in the ass, but oh yeah a necessary <laughs> evil. Um basically so like writing a, a huge visual essay. Right. and how you would approach the commercial. And then based on that, the production company matches a bid, which is informed by what your creative approach is. And then they send that package off to the agency, and then the uh, agency then decides who they want to recommend, and they bring that to the client, and then the client either says yes or no. And then pretty soon after that, like you start pre-production in earnest. But so commercials are nice in the sense that like, it's pretty
3: quick. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm curious. I'm on one. Go ahead. Oh, I'm just curious for, you know, in building your treatments, you, you know, you, you try and really spell things out visually. Um, mm-hmm. what are, what are some ways you've been able to do that? Cause I know for me personally, I have a hard time, you know, finding reference images that, you know, I have the vision in my head, but it's hard to really convey that in the treatment. Have you found, you know, any sites or anything specifically that you use to help build your treatments out?
1: Yeah. Um, in terms of visual references, there's a, a site called Film Grab. Have you heard of that?
0: Yeah. Yep. With all the – it has a list, yeah. a long list of features on there.
1: Yep. So Film Grab's great. I also have um, – I had a, a buddy of mine that was – or still is an art director um, – But back in the day, he sent me like 25 or 30 different photography websites Hmm. that he used for inspiration. So usually for treatment, I'll course through all 25 of those and just look for relevant images Um, because photographers, if you go straight to photographers' websites, you're going to get a better image than you would through any stock image website.
2: Right. So, so, once, you, so once, you, once you win that project, um, kind of moving on past the treatment, you've won the project, um, you've convinced the creatives you're the best, and uh, what, what are the next few steps in pre-production? Are, are you hiring out from there, or what, what's kind of your next step?
1: Yeah, so even before that, when you get to the triple bid phase and you're, you're, you're bidding on it, um, the production company has to start putting crew on hold even though you don't have the job. Mm-hmm. Simply because once it's awarded, it happens.
2: In a couple fast. weeks, yeah.
1: Yeah. So like for example, um, it wasn't the last year, year before that I was shooting it was a commercial for Gogurt at like kids' yogurt. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, Great yeah, stuff. Um, Delicious. Yeah. I have actually I've shot three or three or four commercials for them and have not yet to try it. <laughs> um, they don't that.
0: have samples on but, set?
1: <laughs> Cra- yeah. crafty's got there, GoGurt. The craft services they brought it out, but it, it was so sugary. I, was like, I
0: <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely like definitely one. give me that crash.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I'll be crashing mid take. <laughs> so, um, so for example, with that like the producer called me uh, the day before, and he says, "Look, it doesn't award until later this afternoon. It looks like you're you're going to get it, but you know they they have to you know get approval from client. If it awards, you need to be on a plane tomorrow morning to New York." casting. Wow. So because it's so quick, they start like the, the producer will start putting the keys that hold being the keys being like the cinematographer, art department, A D, um that's pretty much it. All right. Oh, casting director, those those and location scouts. So sometimes they'll even start location scouting. And then you just if you don't get it then you just have to cancel all of those holds and people. Mm-hmm. Or book them if you do get it.
0: Right. And then so do you have a do you have a DP that you work with really regularly? Like a kind of a go to guy or does it kind of vary per
1: um, project? Y- yes and no. In in I think in commercials, more so than features, directors tend to, to bounce around between different DPs. Mm-hmm. Um, in part because of availability, like you can't you you can't plan on on a commercial so far in advance to to be able to like secure the BP that you want all the time. Right. Um, I've worked a lot with a guy named Scott Uelfelder. Um But I've also for like uh, the car work I've done, I've shot, shot some spots for Mercedes. They tend to be pretty. The luxury car brands tend to be really picky about who shoots it. Mm-hmm. Kind cam- of rightly so. They want the camera car and
2: all that. And- they gotta have yeah.
1: Yeah, they want guys that have have worked the pursuit or, mm-hmm. or yep. Russian arm and have shot cars. So a guy named Joe DeSalvo have worked with on that. Um, yeah, I've probably worked with maybe not that many, five or six DPs.
2: Would you say that seven? you are more of a a camera director, or you on set? Are you more based with the talent what would you know what's your kind of balance do you leave a lot up to your DP on shot lists and focal lengths or are you kind of spelling that out and he's just kind of you know lighting on the day how would you how would you describe your relationship like in pre-production with the DP and then on on set
1: Um, I tend to like to control as much as I can I don't know if that's a good thing necessarily but I I generally sounds um, like
0: a directing thing yeah (laughs)
1: I will generally uh plan I'll do the shot list and um go over the boards with the cinematographer and get get his or her input. Um, and then on set it kinda depends. Sometimes I'll I'll have have him kind of set up the shot how he thinks mm-hmm. and then tweak it. But generally I, I kinda pick the lens you know, on the day when we're shooting the lens and the angle and then they're and then I leave them alone in the lighting department. I let them kind of paint it with the light.
0: So it sounds like they're not—you're not too involved with them until day of production. Then
1: um, there's, a li- there's a little bit of collaboration before, um, like with uh, specifically with the last Mercedes job I did. We shot in Miami, but the DP was based out of New York but was in LA, um, I think like three days before I left from Miami for another job. So I met with him maybe two, this was two weeks before we started shooting and we kind of had a meeting and then we maybe had 10 hours of phone call before he actually flew out to Miami. And then in person, we went over the boards again. It's it like a fair amount. I think as much as you can, given the schedule, right. so- try to collaborate.
2: So kind of transitioning to your, your more, your narrative work, which I, I think a lot of people, um, know, um, you know, how do you compare the two of commercial to narrative and kind of what, what do you enjoy more? Like what, how do you compare those two?
1: Mm. Well, I haven't kind of regrettably, I haven't done as much narrative work as I have wanted to. Um, I, I sort of, you know, kind of on that premise that commercials would be a good transition into to features started working so hard in commercials that I just had kept trying to get commercial jobs. Um, and I think it's, it's in ways distracted from or, or maybe sidelined my narrative pursuits. Uh, and it wasn't until last year that I was like, you know, screw it. I'm just going to shoot a short film, um, which was a, a reasonable request. So in terms of, um, in terms of the transition, I think for me it was an exercise. What you don't get a lot in commercials is character, right? Right. Um, so it was I, I approached it from more of a writer standpoint, kind of putting on my writer head, my kind of screenwriter head, and mm-hmm. focusing on characters and dialogue, and not being sort of consciously not being as obsessed with the image. Which in commercials you kind of have, have to be, I, mean, I in commercial directors, um, oftentimes can be successful on simply visual acumen. Yeah, which is why a lot of them have a hard time transitioning to features because, you know, a lot of like a lot of commercial directors are photographers or former art directors or production designers, so they have cool visual looks, but they're not so much character or story guys.
0: Well, yeah. And, and, you know, along those same lines, uh, do you change the way that you approach, you know, directing actors for, for narrative versus commercial?
1: Um, Yes, because uh, I think in, in narrative, more flexibility to get to explore, I want to say,
3: mm-hmm.
1: in terms of in terms of performance in commercials, because it's such a short time frame that you're trying to conform to, you have to be you have to be hyper specific with what you're looking for. So oftentimes it's like a look or uh, a particular line needs to be executed a certain way. Um, so directing gets a little more granular mm-hmm. in commercials, whereas in, in narrative work it's more about getting the right point of view, I think for the actor. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think it, it, th- like you said, things are a lot, have to be a lot more fine tuned in commercials because you can't, you can't let things drag on nearly as long because they need to be, you know, what is it, 15, 30 seconds or if you're lucky, yeah. it's like a 60. So.
1: Yeah. I mean, it sort of speaks to the dynamic of, a, of the hierarchy in a commercial because in commercials, Generally, the, the ultimate creative arbiters are the agencies or the creative director, right. who's on set. And if they're good, they'll let the director get what they want and move on, but they, you still have to get approvals generally. So like when you're, when a director's done with a the shot, they have to call over to Video Village and say, you know, is the agency good? Then you move on. Whereas in features or narrative, it's more when the director's ready, you just move on.
0: Yeah, the director's, the director's god in, in narrative.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Which is a good little quip maybe to distinguish that um, was a guy that directed Charlie Countryman with uh, Shia LaBeouf. Right, yep. Uh, I forget his name, Frank. It wasn't Frank Budgen. It was, he's a big commercial director, maybe like top ten in the world. And this was either his first feature or one of his first big features. And he was giving an interview at the DGA and someone asked what's the biggest difference between commercials and features. And he said, in commercials, if the director jumps off the train, the train keeps going. Like, there's enough agency there. They kind of know what they want. He's like, in in features, if the director jumps off the train, the train crashes, and (laughs) burns. Right. Yeah. It's a good way of... Finding a metaphor for that. Yeah, I think no, so.
0: I, I think there's a lot of definitely a lot of truth to that. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't. it just seems like there's a lot of a lot of politics that goes into it too. It's just kind of like figuring out the right time to to tuck your tuck your tail between your legs and just kind of go with what they're saying and right time to stand up for yourself. Yeah. I think there's a it's definitely a battle and you gotta know you gotta know when, when's the right time to do what.
3: Yeah.
2: But when sure. you know kind of transitioning over to your your narrative stuff, um let's talk about the reasonable request um how that how that project kind of come about uh when you got to actually be kind of the dictator on set? Uh,
1: I was an autobiography <laughs> 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 no, I'm for
0: for anybody who hasn't watched reasonable request, watch it and you'll understand that that is a hilarious joke
1: <laughs> <laughs> um. So a buddy of mine with whom I worked on this project called Art and Corny, who was in advertising, had pitched me the idea of doing the hypothetical turn real and, and finding the most taboo version of that. You which found it. The, yeah, <laughs> which is this spoiler alert. I can I give the spoiler alert?
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's up to you.
1: This? Yeah, it's fine. It's uh, so, so the father-son blowjob. And of course. We we were also batting around a half dozen other concepts for a short film. And uh and so he kinda like kept pushing on, he's like, No, I think this is gonna be good and I was like, I don't know. It seems it seems like it felt very sophomoric to me. Right. Until I kinda thought about it and I was like, maybe there's a challenge in in shooting it in a way where We just go for a super grounded approach and Mm -hmm. find the real-life characters that would actually consider this, you know, debate. Um, And so that's kind of how we came upon the conversation in the diner.
0: Right. And I think that's my favorite thing about it is it looks – I mean, it looks like a, a like a clip out of a feature film. It's it's you know so highly cinematic, and you have no idea that it has any comedy to it until you get you know over halfway through, and it just that surprise is just awesome. Um, right. What what was what was production like on that? Did you did you guys have a budget? Did you do like a Kickstarter, or what did that look like?
1: No, we the the total budget was three thousand. And I split it with, uh, with Gabriel, the co-writer on it. Um, I think we shot for, we were in the diner for about eight hours. I think we, we were rolling for about six and then that was pretty much it. A small crew. I think we had 12 people, um, just pulled a bunch of favors from folks that I knew shooting commercials. Um, and then uh, I think once we finished it, then editing kind of took a while, just with schedules and also kind of futzing around with different takes and trying to find the right tone. Um, it was a little hard because the, the John Ennis, the dad, uh, I didn't have a chance to really talk with him much before we actually started filming.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: He had just read the script and we had like a, 10-minute phone call and he was like yeah i'll do it <laughs> sounds like, like his great. character yeah um he was i mean super nice but kind of like uh he's just busy and kind of all over the place with different projects um to the extent that i was worried he had forgotten we were supposed to shoot when we were when we were shooting so i had a pa go to his apartment and pick him up <laughs> um just to make sure he would arrive on set so he showed up on set he didn't you know, he just didn't quite have the – he didn't have a premeditated grasp on the character, um, which is not his fault really. I think he just was busy. So it took a while to to kind of get him to the place that you see in the film, which is the more grounded version, mm-hmm. simply because we just had to workshop kind of different approaches to it.
0: And so, And how did that look? How, what did that look like? Was that just you sitting down with the two actors and just kind of having a conversation while everyone else was, you know, setting up lighting and everything?
1: Yeah. I mean, it was, we, we would run through, for the most part, we would do the entire scripts in a take. And then I would have notes and kind of go up and talk to them. Um, for Steven, the, the kid, since he was, we had more time to talk. He had kind of a better point of view on it. So I would just shift his point of view a little bit this way, a little bit that way. And John um, was a little more specific in terms of like, you know, different moments. Maybe you should take a drink of water or whatever. And I think that finding those specific moments for him, he found the character you know, through that approach. Whereas Steven was kind of more intellectualizing it. If that makes sense
0: right
2: so you know ap- after you've kind of produced this film you've finished it up how was it first received obviously it's, it's it's kind of gained traction certainly certainly later but how was it a first initially when you first started sending it out to people how was it received
1: uh well I can tell you the initial pitch to my dad uh did not go well <laughs> 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 in part because it was in a hot tub in Palm Springs so it was already <laughs> suggestive. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I, when we, when I first finished it, I had no idea cause I had lost the objectivity to it. So we did, um, the first time it was screened was in front of the cast and crew. And plus I invited a couple other friends, screenwriter friends. I think we had 20 people and that was the first time I saw it in the audience. And the reaction was like, it was good. Um, and it was mainly, I, I was encouraged because of, reaction was best amongst the people that I sort of respected the most right um, but it wasn't a crazy reaction and it so I was like okay well this is good enough to put online um, and then we launched it on Vimeo before we did anything else it submitted it to some blogs and then submitted it to short of the week and film shortage and when it started getting hits there then we kind of knew maybe there was something to it and we started submitting it then to festivals and then when it got into Sundance it sort of blew up
0: did uh and it was a Vimeo staff pick right
1: yeah but actually only after Sundance oh really because we had so I had um, a music video called old bike that got uh staff picked the year prior and so i Kind of knew some of the context so i reached out to them and was like hey i got this short and they watched it and they're like it's great we'll put it in our comedy thing but they're like because of content i don't know that we can specific it and i was like all right that's that's fine whatever um and then sundance happened and i emailed jason sandy who runs short of the week and they were the first you know kind of like the first big place to feature it and i said just want to thank you, you know, for you, you were the first one to believe in the film got it a Sundance blah, blah blah. And he writes back and he's like, uh, he's like, yeah, congrats. I know. And he also at the time worked at Vimeo and was sort of in charge of the staff thinking as well for Vimeo. And so he said, you know, incidentally I went down to our CEO and told him about it and he decided to lift the restrictions. And feature it. So he's like, "We're gonna we're gonna staff pick it tomorrow or something." And I was like, "Oh shit!" So um,
0: not so not only did they staff pick it, but they revised their rules just so they yeah. can do it.
1: So we're the we're basically the Rosa Parks of Vimeo,
2: <laughs> essentially. Yeah.
0: <laughs> instead, you used uh instead of a bus, it was a BJ.
1: Instead of yeah, <laughs> right. or, so or as we call it in L.A. a bus. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> So, so what, uh, transitioning to, to the present, uh, what are, what are some projects you're working on currently? What do you got coming up?
1: Um, so the most immediate thing is, uh, this commercial project with Carhartt, which is going to be a continuation of, um, sort of a branded hunting documentary, um, that's going to film in September. Not sure where yet, but probably Alaska. Nice. Um.
0: You a, are you a hunter yourself?
1: I'm not. I'm not, which my, my family does. Y- you guys are both in Michigan, right? Where right. are you guys based?
0: We're, we're, uh, we're based out of Detroit.
1: Downtown? Yep. Nice. Um. Yeah, Carhartt's right in Dearborn.
0: Oh, okay, nice.
1: I'll skip the jump. Um, but, like, most of my family is from either the UP or, like, uh, Dexter, Pinckney, Ann Arbor area. Mm-hmm. A lot of like hunters in the extended family,
0: so you're gonna be going to them if you need any tips
1: yeah um, but it's kind of nice not being not being the subject not being involved in the subject that you're filming you can kind of approach it from an objective standpoint
0: right and you so, can reach you can reach those you can reach try and reach yourself as an audience who isn't a hunter and that's kind of the exactly yeah
1: right that's interesting find the universal truths or whatever of that right particular field um so that project um i'm bidding on another one but it doesn't look like i'm going to get it uh but shoot in indiana for another commercial um but then on the narrative side uh had this uh tv project called facelift that um is currently at super deluxe and they're debating what they want to do with it um and then uh, on the feature side, I'm I'm sort of working on three separate features. One that I'm kind of writing myself, and then and then two with a couple other guys.
0: And I mean, how do how do you how do you you know delegate your your time? How do you like you're like all right, I'm gonna work on this one this day, or you know how do you like schedule all that out to be doing that much? Um, you know for your personal I, projects and also commercial projects. How do you balance that?
1: I'm not, <laughs> I'm not great at it, I'll tell <laughs> you that. I'm not the most disciplined person. I try to, to um, have you heard of Pomodoros?
0: No, not familiar.
1: It's a, it's a great technique that I learned from the screenwriting professor where it's, a, a Pomodoro is basically a 25-minute chunk of time followed by a five-minute break. And so there's an app you can download just called Pomodoros or whatever, but it essentially just, it's just that. It times you for 25 minutes Every 25-minute segment, you get a five-minute break. And every four Pomodoros, you get a 15-minute break. Um, And I found that to be super helpful in terms of writing because you can, for those 25 minutes, I'll shut off the internet and all contact. And even if it's midday, 25 minutes isn't like an egregious amount of time to be out of contact with anyone. Mm Mm-hmm and at the five-minute break, I'll turn everything on and answer whatever emails need to be answered and then go back to it if I can for another 25-minute section. And that's usually like two hours of writing a day has kind of helped and then I'll spend the rest of the time either on the commercial projects or daily, daily and procrastinating.
0: <laughs> no, that's not, that sounds like a really good tool. I'll love to check that out for sure. Yeah. Um, I think the... Uh, Last thing you mentioned, you mentioned before when we were talking on the phone about the uh, kid cinema. Could you talk a little bit about that? That sounds like an awesome project.
1: So, kid cinema is um, uh, uh, kind of inspired by a trip I did or a, a job I had in Jamaica when I was when I first moved out to LA. I was hired to be this camera guy on this documentary in Jamaica, and the producer had given the kids we were filming cameras, disposable cameras, and one camera had like a smiley face and the other camera had a frown face. And he's like, everything that makes you happy, take a photo on this camera. Everything that makes you sad, take a photo on this camera. And the result was sort of silly. Like it was mostly just kids, you know, fucking around with their friends. Yeah. Taking selfies more or less. But I was like, that's kind of a fascinating, the idea of, of bringing a sense of, Story to disenfranchised communities. Um, and then in LA, or actually, there's one in Ann Arbor, too. There's an organization called 826, which mm-hmm. is David Eggers, um, the author's nonprofit that tutors kids in creative writing. And they released um, an album a couple years back where they had kids write songs and then they had professional bands perform them. I think they had like Metallica did a song that like a six year old wrote. Um, and they released the CD. <laughs> and I was like, it's, I was like, that's fucking that's brilliant. Awesome. So I was like, I wonder if we could do the film version of that and just have like little kids, write These whimsical, nonsensical short stories and get, you know, like JJ Abrams or, you know, whoever to direct them as like little five minute shorts. Um, So, I kind of started developing it and I actually went to to Bad Robot uh, and pitched it to them. And they were like, We like it, but we're not sure if we can take it on our plate right now. And then they hooked me up with the head of 826 in LA. And they offered to, they liked it and um, offered to kind of help with the, the workshop phase of it. And they also tutored their kind of community are are sort of the East L.A. tend to be more minority kids. Mm -hmm. So um, actually last two weekends ago was the the workshop that we hosted, which was kind of the first phase of it, which was just teaching these eight-year-olds the basics of screenwriting and having them write a two-page short story. And so now we're going to take that and translate it to screenplay format and hopefully soon find five fairly big name directors if i can to to take this project on and turn them into short films and then do like a red carpet kind of event where the kids can come bring their friends and see the see their like stories on the big screen
0: yeah that's that'd be incredible (laughs) (laughs) to be a little kid and get one of those get your movie made by like david fincher
1: (laughs) i know i know that's awesome i'm hoping uh I, I'm kind of trying to shoot set my. I said shoot my sets set my sights high. Um, it's just tough with like you know the bigger the names like the the busier they are right. and to commit to, to commit to a weekend of filming is really difficult.
0: Yeah no absolutely, well yeah that that sounds like an awesome project and uh, you know sounds like you're sounds like you're you know in the heat of a lot of cool different projects. So, uh, best of luck to you, sir. Uh, we, we really appreciate you being on the podcast today.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much. So there you have it.
0: Andrew dropped some knowledge
2: on y'all, you know, certainly a guy with a lot going on. Uh, if you want to check out his work, visit andrewlorch.com. and, uh, we're going to have more director interviews coming up shortly. Until next time, I'm Kena Wetzel
0: and I'm Kurt Schneider. You can always find the podcast at direct a podcast on iTunes. Rate and review. Five stars for the cool guys. We'll see you next time.